0: Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware, brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Friday, April 9, 2021. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for this evening's podcast. This evening, we're talking with Jonathan Etheridge, the Alliance Party's national chair, and Tim Cotton, the political director at the Alliance Party. The topic for tonight? The Alliance Party is embarking on a new marketing campaign, This isn't just a facelift for the website. It's a complete version change, version 2.0, if you will. Everything from our primary messaging, like who is the Alliance Party, right down to the colors of our logo. This is exciting and I'm very much looking forward to talking to Jonathan and Tim about it. So Jonathan and Tim, uh, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark and thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan, it's great to be here. So before we get started, I want to ask, why now? You know, what's driving us to implement this sort of bold new step into new messaging at this time.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dan. So, I mean, the timing was something we've wanted to do for a while. Um, we had known it was always something we we're going to have to do as we formed a couple of years ago through mergers of, of like-minded political organizations. Um, and we, we keenly felt that, you know, we were missing that that unique brand, that value proposition to the electorate. And, and so we'd always plan on doing this type of initiative. And the only reason it was delayed and, and kicked off now was because we, we made the decision to get involved and run a candidate in the general election. And quite frankly, that consumed, you know, all of our time and energies. And so we always knew coming out of that process is we were able to take our learnings from that as, as our first, uh, you know, nationwide election as a, as a political party and and now relaunch. And so here we are, you know, in that process.
0: All right. Well, uh, let's uh, talk about uh, the tagline here: "Own your future." It focuses on what could be, as opposed to what's been. And this is like for me, it's like a breath of fresh air. I mean, so so let's talk about some of the ideas where the Alliance Party uh, can can take the future of our nation. Tim, you want to take a shot at that?
2: Uh, Certainly, I can get it started. Uh, The concept is is when you look at where we've come from and how we got to where we are, and in our polling and just talking to people in the street, one of the things that we find is that people don't feel like they're in control, Um, that things are just happening to them and they're just reacting and dealing with them. And we don't believe that is really how uh, we, as the greatest country on the planet, should be operating. We believe that the people... Uh, the people that own this country, the people that run this country should own their future and that they need to um, be able to have a control and have a say on where are we going, how are we getting there, what is our ultimate, um, what does it look like to be an American, what does the future of America look like? And one of our, our main goals is to be a leader and a servant at the same time to help
0: people to own that future. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with Tim. I think for me too, I, I kind of individualize it. Uh, I think everyone has this personal vision of of what their future is as an individual, for their family, for their community, and for this country. And so, you know, a large part of what we're talking about is participation in these systems. So rather than just say the current system is broken and passively hope that an organization like ours is going to come along and, and fight for change take accountability step up and own your part of creating the future that you want so, so run if if you're not happy with with what your representative is doing run yourself you know up, take the action on that on that appeal and that call to service or support a, a different candidate or a party or you know get involved in your community with a local organization so really it's it's a lot about trying to take the sentiments of wanting change and wanting to fight for transformation and and taking that first step and really seizing it with both hands and and creating the future, mm-hmm. and the Alliance Party, as an alternative political choice, um, is that opportunity to to create what the political ecosystem should look like in the future.
2: I like I like the uh, the personal the personal touch that you mentioned, Jonathan, because. Because everybody's future is personal to them. You know, what I see is my future may be different than what you see is your future, and that's why it's so important that people own their future and be involved in in where they see themselves going, uh, in in their future, and and collectively, we as a nation move forward individually, but as one.
0: Mm-hmm. And the the timing is pretty good in the sense that. Uh, I think there's what was a recent poll taken, um, not a Gallup poll, it was one of the polls out there that said that now we have, for the first time, crossed over 50% of the people that they have polled, and they've been doing these polls for several years now, 50% of the people do not identify uh, as a a Democrat or Republican, or as a Republican, and I think part of that is, is the fact that, you know, as people tune out, they stop participating. And, and Jonathan, to your point about, you know, hoping for something better, well, hope is not a strategy, right? And so it sounds to me like it's a good time for the Alliance Party to come by, uh, not only because of the numbers out there, but because the, we, we, we're asking for participation. We're, we're telling people, look, if you participate, you can make a difference in our nation
1: yeah you're you're spot on, Dan. I mean, everyone has the opportunity to influence the people around them mm-hmm. in an outsized way, in a larger way than they know. And so if if more people are engaged in the political process, are engaged in trying to craft that future that they see for themselves um, and and define that new political landscape, then it will it will materialize. It will come. The mm-hmm. people have the power. They just need to realize that they don't have to be victims of the system, but instead they can be creators of the new system.
0: And so the pitch right now, the main pitch, uh, is the Alliance Party is a new political choice that envisions an America that works for everyone, a future of fairness, and opportunity where government acts with integrity and solves problems. And I see a key part of this uh, of this. Of this, uh, of this new pitch, uh, an underlying concept is is really restoring the faith in the government. And that's going to be a, a bit difficult because don't you think that people have become too cynical and that trust, it trust itself, trust in the government, but trust in general is something that's really hard to win, uh, but very easy to lose. So what specific steps, uh, Tim, what specific steps can the party take to accomplish this goal of putting faith back into the government?
2: I think the first step to gaining trust is to be trustworthy. And um, so that's the very first goal is that we have to be worthy of trust. I believe that Americans are looking for politicians and for a government that they can trust. So they're open to the idea. I don't think we're past, I don't think we're beyond repair. I think people are looking for a, a fresh idea. We have gotten worse and worse with every election and people are turning away from them. And, and, and people are turning out in larger numbers, not because they feel the need to participate, but it's because of a distrust in one or the other. And they want that to change. And we need to earn the trust and let people know that we really are looking to serve. We are really looking to solve the problems that need to be solved and do it with integrity. We mm-hmm. need people need to know that there are real opportunities to succeed out there, uh, that there isn't this underlying force that's in control, that in the end, they really are in control. They just need to be empowered. So it's it's a process and it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not something that's going to happen in one election. It's, it's about earning people's trust and people, you know, people need to have somebody to be worthy of that trust. And that's our first goal is to be trustworthy.
0: Mm mm-hmm. And Jonathan, any ideas from you as to some things we can do to earn that trust?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, And, and I, I love what Tim said. I, I think I'm going to take it a little more tactically and, and mm-hmm. give some examples of things that we can do. And it, it kind of starts with this idea of, of, you know, in the technology space of garbage in, garbage out, right? If you put bad data in, you're going to make bad inferences and you're going to get bad outcomes. And I think the true, the same is true of our elected officials. Uh, so there's there's things that we need to do to throughout that entire value stream or that process to ensure we're getting the right people. And I think the first thing we need to do is um, demand a new breed of public servant. So, for example, some of the things that the Alliance Party does with its candidates is we require them to man- we mandate the disclosure of their tax returns. So we believe in financial transparency from our elected officials and that We know that they're not bound to special interests. We know that they're not going to be legislating um, with with their personal financial interests in mind. We want that clean slate and that trust. The other thing we do is ask our candidates to abide by self-imposed term limits upon elected officials, upon themselves as an elected official, because we're interested in getting more citizens involved in the process, not putting someone into office and just holding on to that for 40 years, mm-hmm. even after they've become obsolescence or out of touch with the American people because of their separation from them in that long-term tenure. And then we would also uh, you know, advocate recall processes for all elected officials. So if your constituents and your voting behavior as, as an elected official stray too far apart, there's a mechanism baked into the process by which the people can say, you know what, you no longer represent us, you no longer speak with our voice, and we we want another chance at getting someone who will represent us. That's the first thing I do. I would put garbage into the system, Mm -hmm. or or good good data into the system, avoid garbage in the system. Then the next thing you have to do is you have to look at voting. That's the way that we select who gets into the system. So we need to eliminate barriers to participation in our democratic processes. We want people to get involved. We want more voices. We want more votes tallied because that's the way we ensure that everyone is exercising their power of the vote and selecting their representative. So we need things like automatic voter registration, same day voter registration, and an expanded use of vote by mail and early voting. And then we need to ensure as well that when the people go and cast their votes, the voters are choosing their representative rather than the representatives choosing their voters. So we need to end things like partisan gerrymandering. We need to implement ranked choice voting for all elections, and we need to reform our campaign finance to increase transparency and limit the influence of special interests or private money and politics. And so if we do those things together in conjunction, we will put a new breed of public servant, a better elected official in office that can fully capture as possible the will of their constituents and then they're not bound to special interest and the need for real constant reelection funds.
0: That's very good. I I like that. It's um, some of these things really, uh, you talked about uh, voting rights and gerrymandering and ranked choice voting. These are all things that are up at the, up for the state level, right? These are the state level legislators that, that focus on these things at least the way it's run at this point. So, um, that really means kind of a, a, a push for candidates to get in at these fundamental levels to make these changes, correct?
2: Well, change occurs uh, in the legislature that is closest to the people. Um, people like to uh, be concerned with presidential campaigns, and you know, that's kind of the glamorous, you know, that's our re- version of royalty. But in reality, the, the legislature that is closest to you, your town council, your your county legislators and your state legislators are the ones that affect your life day to day most, mm-hmm. and that and that unfortunately is the ones that people pay the least attention to. So yeah, we we will be focusing on on those levels that are closest to the people. You know, you know uh, something that doesn't get a lot of attention is your school boards. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's not just the. A, a puppet position, you know that that's people that are involved in the education of our children, and and uh, every one of these low positions, as people would call them, are not low in any way. They're very important positions. So we will be uh, looking to fill all of these and making the influence there. The state legislatures control most of the issues, as you said that Jonathan just mentioned. You know the way the way we vote, the way people. Um, are eligible to vote, the way campaign financing is done, um, all that stuff is done at the local state level. The state legislature decides those things. The mm-hmm. FEC gets a lot of attention, but they only really deal with the, the federal, the, the congressional and the presidential elections. It's the state election boards that that is dealing with some of the others. So yes, absolutely, we need to be working at the state level, the county level, the city and town level, and Right down to our sewer and water coordinators.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and perhaps down to the dog catcher as well. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Jonathan, in your in your presentation you gave on Tuesday and I imagine uh, Sunday as well, you talk about pain points, and uh, you 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 brought up pain points uh, as largely responsible for na- or I think is largely responsible for nationwide cynicism. For example, the pain points I wrote down on my notes right here that elected officials are no longer representing the people. The only, they're only interested in re-election. We already touched upon that. Um, tend to be dysfunctional and corrupt in all, or, all or, or nothing type of environment. And most of all, they're defending the status quo. And uh, these are all basically behaviors of politicians in the past, so it sounds to me like the Alliance Party really is focusing on uh, not only strategically placing people into these uh, key positions, but also managing their behavior. And how do we how do we make sure that they're having good behavior? Do we plan on training them or having continuous meetings with the party, or, or what sort of tactical things are we putting in place for that?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good uh, good question, Dan. I mean. You know, the candidates are, are a big part of the brand of the party they ultimately become the brand of the party so i think you're absolutely right in highlighting the the importance of ensuring that if we want to be a a behaviors and value-driven organization so ensure that our behaviors demonstrate our values uh, it really starts with our candidates and and that starts everywhere from sourcing so getting people that that want to run for office for the right reasons you know finding people who, who have a calling. For public service um, and and who want to affect positive change in their community, versus just be that that modern equivalent royalty um, that Tim referenced. You know that that cult mm-hmm. of personality <laughs> that I think we get at the especially at the federal level. Um, but then it also comes through some of those systemic things that we talked about as well. You know, is is we will find candidates who voluntarily impose term limits upon themselves because we want people that that right there is a clear signal of whether or not they believe in service or they believe in making a career mm-hmm. out of, out of politics. Um, and so doing those types of things, you know, are, are how we're going to kind of build in those you know, self-enforcing mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also going to be a coaching element to it too. You know, it's going to be constant growth, particularly as, as we find, you know, younger people. I mean, we're interested in, in, you know, finding folks that are, are young in their career, new to politics that affect change. That's where a lot of the energy is coming from. Mm-hmm. And what they don't have is a status quo that's willing to empower them to run for office. And so that's that's where we're, we think we can really play in this space. And we can say, hey, we've got the resources. We've got the knowledge. We've got a body of supporters and volunteers that want to help you. You know, let's harness your passion. Let's harness your commitment. And let's do something with it. Versus the opposite approach of saying, okay, who's, who's, the, uh, who's the celebrity, their local business owner that, that can afford to run for the state legislature because they have a second income and don't have to rely on per diem to, to put food on the table. Yeah. You know? And so there's lots of things that we can do to ensure that, that we're, we're finding the right people. We're, we're keeping them honest and committed to the behaviors that demonstrate our value. And we're challenging the status quo to where they're going to have to adapt or yeah. Perish.
2: Aside from the the career politician, in my experience, there's many people who go into this for the right reasons. All those things, all those checklist things that we have. But what happens is, is once they get there, they're they're brought into a meeting. And I've known many people, especially at the congressional and state house level, that one of the first meetings after they're elected and after they're inaugurated is they they meet with fundraising people Mm -hmm. and the party will sit them down and they will begin fundraising on their reelection on the day they take office. Yeah. And so all of their focus becomes on reelection. So every decision that they're forced to make for whatever reason, they start at the job, they're forced to comply with the people that are going to fund their campaign the day that they begin. And the people are taken out of the equation on day one. So we have to to get money, big money out of politics, or even the people that we put in for good reason will be forced to get into the game of, well, what am I going to do about reelection? What am I going to do about, you know, I have no say in this because I don't have any money. So it's a big system to break, um, but it's breakable.
0: Yeah, but you bring up a good point, though. Um, yeah, on this podcast, we we've talked to a number of candidates in the past, uh, both inside and outside the Alliance Party. And I'm thinking specifically about this uh, uh, one person, Erica Hoffman, who lives fairly close to me, and she's running for a state office, a statewide office, a state representative office. And she uh, off we talked off air for quite a while. She just instilled in my mind how difficult that journey is. Even when she's attached to the Democratic Party, because uh, I was sort of surprised, and I said, "You know, isn't aren't you getting any help from the party?" She said, "No, uh, not at this point, anyways." And so um, it sort of scared me off, in a in a sense, you know, because some of the things she's telling me she has to go through to to do this. So this is a very arduous process, but ultimately, um, most state legislators. Uh, to your point, Jonathan, they don't get paid a lot of money. They, they make uh, maybe some per diem and that's it. Um, California and New York are perhaps the big exceptions. They get into six digits, but uh, New Hampshire, I think it's, what, $200 for a uh, for, uh, two-year term or something like that. How can, how can we, uh, and it, maybe this is an open question that can't be answered at this point, but at some point money enters the equation right and so we have to have some way of navigating around that without um without you know going uh, holding up our hat to um potential big donors out there who are going to want something for for the campaign donations that they're making
2: one of our biggest jobs is going to be education and and showing people how to how to take back their country. And, you know, we hear that all the time. Take back our country. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we saw people who thought they needed to do it by scaling the walls at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the feeling of taking back the country is 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 everywhere. And um, but but the country's not gone. We still own the country. Mm-hmm. The problem is is uh, votes have been given a dollar value. Yeah. And then there's the people and the parties that believe they own your vote. You know, you're a Democrat, so it's like, you, you can't vote the other way. You can't vote against our party. You know, you're part of us. You're one of us. We expect you to vote a certain way. And they believe, they really believe that they own our vote. And then the, on the other side of that is, is uh, there's people who think that they can buy our vote. And the reason they believe that is because they have for some time, a generation or two, been buying the vote whether it's because they've raised the most money and market it the most or whether it's you know whatever the reason I, I know in in campaign manager um, rhetoric one of the things that we always say uh, jokingly but it's not really a joke is he who raises the most wins yeah and and the whole game of of uh, a campaign would be to raise the most money because especially in a swing district it really comes down to, he who raises the most money will win. And that is because of of many reasons. But one is we're very much a consumer driven society. And we are driven to the ones who will have the nicest signs, the ones who will have the best commercials, maybe even need a better looking candidate. And part of our education that we're gonna have to do is is to say, no, we, we need to look at politics differently this isn't commercial this isn't consumer this is about your life this is about people this is about who do you want to represent you and that's going to be a long and a hard road to show people that they are in control but they're going to have to take control and own their own future
0: Mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts about that jonathan in terms of the tactics
1: well I, i think it comes down to a lot of the reforms that we talked about and getting a new breed of elected official. I mean, eventually, as we're successful in our mission and we're changing the face of government, so the people who are at the table and have a voice at the table and a determination on on the future of their community and on the country as a whole, they're, they're going to change things and, and we're either going to become the majority and be able to affect the change that we want to see, or we're going to force compromise through negotiating from a position of strength. So Mm -hmm. I think that if, if we're putting the right officials in office and we're reforming the systems that erect artificial barriers to people who want to participate in the process, whether it's money, whether it's representation, or it's access to the ability to vote conveniently, um, reforming those elements in the system is going to eliminate a lot of that downstream uh, you know, negative consequences or waste that that's causing some of these issues.
0: So, um, labeling, I, it, I'm going to sort of frame what I'm, what I'm talking about here with labeling. When when a candidate runs, they get labeled, they get labeled with, gee, where do you stand on gun control? Or where do you stand on abortion? Or do you, where do you stand on the national anthem and things like that? How do you, would our candidates avoid getting some of these negative labels? You know, you if if you if a candidate says something or or and is suddenly you know is just suddenly tagged with this label like oh he's um he's an anti uh, he, he's he's an anti gun person or something like that. I mean, what do, what do we do in that case? Because cause, you know the whole party can get tagged and painted with these with these types of labels. So. Um this is more of a strategic question, so I think Tim you're probably better better to answer this one or at least to start answering this one
2: yeah sure, i'll I'll start us off <clears throat> well, I, well I think I think it's start preface with uh, the labels are given to us it's not something we choose so it's kind of hard to avoid what label someone will give and as far as it being a negative label, I mean I mean one side if one side thinks it's positive there's the the opposing side is going to think it's a negative so you know, I'm not sure you can have a negative label that everybody thinks is negative. Well, I, I guess there are indications when that can happen, mm-hmm. but, but I think generally speaking um, mm-hmm. what there's a group of people that's going to like what you're saying in a group that's not, and, and the ones who don't are going to label you as being, you know, the bad guy and the other one's going to label you the good guy. So I think that's going to, it's really hard to avoid those labels. I think it's important for there to be a, a bit of a, a union of, of thought somewhat in if you're an alliance party candidate and you've gotten the nomination that kind of may say a little bit about you, about where you're going to fall into those labels so that um, the labels are consistent, if that makes any sense. Um, Mm -hmm. If we have inconsistent labels, then, then you sound like the old country song that if you, you know, if you don't don't, uh, stand for something, you'll fall for everything. I mean, there's going to be labels um, the, the thing to avoid is inaccurate labels or labels that are inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we really would need to be trying to avoid. Um, for instance, let, let's say, let's say you have somebody who is, um, anti-gun, right? Now mm-hmm. that may not mean the entire party is anti-gun, but that person is anti-gun. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing in his anti-gun stance would be that it wouldn't be an emotional reason for it, that what we would want most from our candidates and from our leaders is that this has been, you know, a scientifically and reasoned approach to what needs to happen. You know, we have an issue before us that needs resolution and how can we best resolve that? And so what we're looking for is, is not somebody who's just going to pardon the expression, shoot from the hip, mm-hmm. but, and. Um, it would be okay for, for varying views if they can be substantiated, I guess is the best way. But there has to be a conformity somewhat that makes them an alliance party candidate. You know, when I knock on a door and say, Hi, my name is Tim, and I'm running for such and such with the alliance party, that should conjure an image before I start speaking of what that means mm-hmm. um, to give them kind of an idea. And, and, you know, some things are, are regional, you know, where, uh, you know, people in New York City are going to feel differently about about gun control than people in Montana. Right. So, but they can both be Alliance Party candidates. Yeah. I feel like I was all over the place there. I'm hoping maybe Jonathan can kind of tighten that up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Jonathan, well, <laughs> take a
1: shot yeah. at it. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, man. Always clean, always cleaning up after Tim. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I, I think... I'm going to take a slightly different, I'm going to take a slight. yeah, I'm going to take a slightly different approach because I, I like some examples you used, you know, a lot of times when we're talking to people and you say, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm with the Alliance party or I'm a candidate, you know, an issue is going to come to mind for them. They, they have an issue. You know, it's always that first question, where do you stand on the student loan crisis or where do you stand on climate change or where do you stand on abortion or gun rights? And so what, what we try to coach our candidates to do is say, "Okay, s- stop for a second. You know, there's a reason why they want to put you in that box, right? They want to. They want to. I want you to be this or this." And so, the the two things that we want to the things we want to do are twofold. The first is we want to have a better conversation with them, and so we tell our candidates, "Don't answer that right away, but ask them why that's why that's an important issue to them. Listen mm-hmm. to them, hear them, yeah. and look for common ground because." At the end of the day, you might disagree completely with them on what they said, but you did two things. One, you challenged their, their need to and desire to stereotype you into one box or the other. So they can decide whether you were worth listening to or not. The second thing you did is walked away with an impression, you know, people, you know, there's a saying, people aren't going to remember what you say. They're going to remember how you make them feel. And I guarantee, they're probably gonna forget a lot of the nuances of the of the policy and the debate and the reasons that she went into. But I hope that if our candidates take this approach, that that voter, that constituent is gonna walk away remembering that at least they listened to me. Their first instinct wasn't to tell me that I was absolutely right, which I probably wanted, or I was absolutely wrong, which I didn't wanna hear. So that's one thing that we we would have our candidates do do differently. And the other thing I know, and you and I've talked about this before too, is as I always try to phrase things, it, when we talk about policies, when you can't avoid policy and say, what would you do differently? I think the number one thing that we would do differently is, is look at solutions as and solutions rather than or solutions. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is, is take any issue like, like student loan debt, right? It, it's a big topic right now. You're only be presented with two options based on the popular narrative. It's do nothing right? We, we, they took out the loans. They should be responsible for it. You know, it, it all comes down to individual choice and accountability, which essentially means we don't want to do anything about this crisis and crisis. It is the, or solution that you're hearing is we'll forgive all student loan debt. All right. It's a predator. It's a predatory system. They didn't know, uh, you know, tuition, you know, was inflated while wages were stagnant. They couldn't have helped getting into the situation. And I don't think that solves the problem either. I think it abrogates people from personal accountability. Those are your or solutions mm-hmm. where we're different is we're looking for an mm-hmm. and solution. The end solution is fix the system that created the problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. Forgiving student loan debt and doing nothing about the system just means we're going to recreate the problem with the next generation. And right. so, you know, we're looking for those types of meaningful reforms that most people can agree with. And I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Borrowers should have more options for being able to pick who services their loans. There should be competition in the loan servicer market to ensure competitive rates and great service and flexibility in refinance. You know, we should let the free market create opportunities for, for consumers to have a better choice when it comes to who's going to hold their student loans uh, the, you know, the other thing we need to do is say, okay, student loans should qualify for income driven repayment because we look at the data and the data suggests that loans where students are, have a repayment plan that's income driven are far more likely than their peers to pay that loan off within, within 20 years. Mm-hmm. The problem is that's an exception and an extremely hard exception to get approved because it means they lose points on interest income over time. So instead of being an exception, it should be a rule. Hmm. The other, uh, some things that we do too that are and solutions is student loan debt right now is the only debt that can't be forgiven in personal bankruptcy. That's a SOP to the industry. That's, that's a symptom of corruption in our government that they've allowed that to happen. That's a factor of the predatory system. So we would say student loan debt should be treated the same as any other debt. If you do run into a situation where you can't pay it, you should be allowed to have it forgiven in bankruptcy. And then finally, uh, you know, I would allow employers to help pay down the debt as part of their competitive benefits package. If if I hire someone right now and I say, hey, you know, and they come to me and say, oh, you know, I'd like to go back to school I'd like to improve my skills and be a better employee for you. I can offer them tuition assistance to go back to school i could say hey I'll, I'll give you money for every semester and and you go and upskill yourself mm-hmm. why shouldn't employers have the same option to do that for those who come to them with a degree and say you know what as part of our competitive benefits package we'd actually like to offer you the same incentive but to pay down your existing student loan debt so that allows employers it allows the market it, it to help solve the problem and it fixes this the underlying systemic predatory nature of the industry. So uh, just one example, and I'm, I'm sorry for rambling. No, rant, this is good. Yeah, J- is- just one example where we say, you know what? You're being presented with or options, but the alliance party is going to give you an and option.
2: Very, very well said, Jonathan. I, th- I think one of the problems is, is we've been taught, mm-hmm. we've been conditioned to choose one of two boxes, you know, you can have this or you can have that, and election day choose one. And, and what you're saying is that we can think outside the box, and there may be a third solution, there may be a fourth, there may even be a fifth solution for us to choose from. And and what we need to do is start teaching people to to think, say, to know that they can think outside the box. That there isn't only two solutions to every problem.
0: Yeah. I like that. You know, as you're talking, Jonathan, I just thought of a dozen more. You know, uh, or type of, um, I mean, and type of uh, solutions for student debt. I mean, there's always this thing. Uh, remember that show from many years ago called Northern Exposure, where, where the, the whole premise of the show is there's this doctor who got uh, a lot of benefit from the state of Alaska to um, to go through medical school. The only catch was he had to spend you know a certain number of years. Uh, as a, as a doctor in a, in a fairly remote village. And uh, um, it was obviously somewhat of a comedy, but it was actually, it really rang true with me is like, you know, maybe, maybe the Peace Corps or uh, maybe military service or, um, you know, there's there's dozens of things, maybe, maybe teaching in, in certain environments. If, if you, if you get a teaching degree, you teach for so many years, you can, you can um, essentially uh, rid yourself of that loan. So there's, there's lots of things I think uh, there's a lot of solutions out there. And, and when you're talking about it, it just makes me excited to think, yeah, it's not just checking one box or the other. There's a lot of other things out there if you just allow the people to start thinking about different solutions.
1: Yeah, Dan, I want to, I want to, because you, you called something else that's top of mind over on the topic of education. You know, if you look at our existing policy platform on the website and our, our education thing, one of the things we absolutely looked at to, elevate and reinvigorate the teaching profession was to reward people who go into it as a career. So, you know, we talk about the same thing you just talked about saying, you know, if, if you come out and you teach for 10 years, you know, or, or some predetermined period of time, we'll forgive your student loans, you know, because you've you've given a service back mm-hmm. to the country and and you deserve to, to have those loans forgiven. And, and I would even go so far as to say, you know what, and if you go to a, a particularly you know, economically depressed or, or, you know, education desert school system will forgive it in, in five or six years, you know, because then you're telling people like there's a, there's a real benefit besides the, the, you know, intrinsic motivation to teach, we can provide extrinsic motivation as well. That makes it a rewarding career and allows teachers who are, who are grossly underpaid for the service they provide to, to not have to also be saddled with debt on top of that.
0: Yeah. I've heard of people uh, being already on Social Security and still paying down their student loans. But back to the messaging, the The big tagline here is own your future. Could you explain this a little bit more in terms of how's this is going to resonate with voters? Um, Tim, why don't you take a first shot at that one?
2: Sure. Uh, I mean, one of the, one of the things that we looked at in in you know, Jonathan had mentioned that we needed to look at who we are, where we're going, what are we doing, and one of the things was what does the electorate of the future look like? Because we kept talking about the future, you know, what what, what is what are we going to look like? What are we going to be? What are we going to need? What are we going to do? And what we started and what we did is we looked at who is the electorate of the of the future, and what we found is that it's you know people born after 1981. Uh, what most people would call millennials and and so forth, you know, Generation X and uh, whatever is following that, is going to be the electorate of the future. So all the arguments that we have today um, about what we should do in the future can become quite moot when we may not be the ones in the future making that decision. Mm-hmm. So what we wanted to do was look ahead into what will be the issues that the future electorate is looking at, and how can we be a party of the future? Lord knows there's plenty of parties of the past, and and we thought that it was important for us to start looking to the future if we're not just going to be a 2020, 2022, or even a 2024 party. If we're really looking to be a permanent party of the future, we need to look at what does that electorate look like. And that's when it becomes important for people that are young today, you know, 18, 20, 25 years old, to instead of sitting back and waiting for their future to happen, we believe that they need to be empowered to own that future and to take control of it and to take control of it now and not to wait till they're 40 years old and look at what could have been done back in the day. hmm so owning your future, a, a, an important part of that is to look ahead with where are we going and how do we start implementing those things now so that they're fully in effect and done properly for their future, for my kids, for my grandkids, for my grandkids' kids. And, and, and this is really what we're looking at is that we're, we're bigger than today's issue. We're bigger than the next election. We're we're about what does the future hold? Where does the future need to go? And how do we play a part in what the future will look like? And in doing so, we felt that it was important that people understand that they seriously need to own their future and that we were here to help them
0: do that. Jonathan, any uh, comments on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, the future orientation is everything I'm, I'm, I'm a millennial. I'll admit I'm on the tail end of it, but I still get to claim it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm in this, you know, for my kids, I'm in it for their political future. And my kids are the future of, of the electorate, you know, at, at 10, 8 and 6 years old. So, you know, when I talk to them, I, I don't tell them, hey, if you want to do something, if you want to be good at a sport or you want to make a friend or you want to try that experience, I don't tell them to just sit back and wait for it to happen to them. I coach them to do what it takes to seize it, Mm -hmm. start, try, attempt, experiment, you know, practice, whatever it takes. You know, we try to translate that desire into action. And so when I think about empowering the electorate and people to take control of the political system and their own political destiny, I I want to imbue the same thing in them. You know, I want the same thing for the electorate as I want for, for my kids. I want them to have a better life than me. I want them to have a better, fairer political and social ecosystem, and that requires someone to do something about it, and it requires them to take ownership of what that looks like.
0: And the future is going to be different. There, the demographics are constantly changing, and what I find is there is this certain what I would call conservatism, conservatism of mind. I hope I said that correctly. But it's the it's the tendency of people to not change, to uh, sort of maybe talk romantically about things in the past. I mean, the whole idea of MAGA, you know, make America great again, was really hearkening to the past, where there's this sort of um, false sense of how good things were, and that's not the reality, right? I mean, the reality is that that the demographics are changing, political views are changing. I really think the Republican Party is going to get left behind unless they can embrace this change. They don't seem to be wanting to do it at this point. So, uh, yeah, I take that to heart, you know, the uh, the the um, uh, moving into the future, owning your future, because it is the future, whether or not you own it. And and I love what you say, Jonathan, about uh, teaching your kids to seize the moment. It's not something you can sit there and wait for it to happen it's going to happen. You got to grab it and move forward with it. And I think that's a great, that's a really great tagline for the for the Alliance party. Um, suddenly it went really quiet. I feel like I'm preaching here.
1: Sorry about that. Um, hey, you were on a roll. I wasn't going to stop you. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. I'll,
0: I'll run for office
1: now. Yeah, we were, we were taking notes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm glad I recorded this because I'll probably forget it in another five minutes. But getting back to the Alliance Party, though, itself, one one final topic I'd like to touch upon here is we, Alliance Party at this point has done some very impressive things. It's been an all-volunteer organization, and yet here we are, you know, 90,000 votes or nearly 90,000 votes, I think, in the last major election. That's quite outstanding, in my opinion. So... But will the Alliance Party get to a point where it, will, where it will fund a small staff of people so that we can have, you know, the, the more available resources to toward the people that are that are running the, the state offices as well as the people that are that are running for office themselves?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the hope, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we're we're always going to be primarily a volunteer-led organization at this at the state and national level. Um, but we do have ambitions for for getting candidates elected for enacting meaningful reform and legislation and that's going to require a, a team of people right it's going to require the resources to to turn those those hopes and aspirations into reality and the it's a necessary evil that people are going to want to do that as a career um you know we are all volunteer right now and i and i think that's that's great, but it's also difficult. The same thing we talked about where if someone has to choose between serving their community and running for office or being able to earn a living wage, they can't participate in the political process. And it's the same for us to work for the party. If I have to choose between attending a campaign event or going to a board meeting to fight for my, my kid's education, but I also have to make sure that as a single parent i i get them to practice and that dinner's ready and they've done their homework you know i my my choices have been limited so at some point yes we are going to need a a very small handful of dedicated staff or professionals who can help translate our objectives into into action
2: i mean it 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 stands to reason i mean at some point we have to be driven um, by people who are professionals in this And, you know, professionals are doing this for a living and they're not going to, you know, they may volunteer their services here and there. But, you know, people that, that know how to win campaigns and know how to, to do these kinds of things don't, you know, they don't work for free. Just like, you know, you may know a plumber that'll work for free, but basically if you've got a big plumbing problem, you're going to have to hire a plumber. It's the same thing for us to really compete at the highest levels, we will need professionals. Um, I, I mean, I know I, for 30 years, i worked worked in this professionally, and that's who drives this in the, you know, the legwork, the people that are that are running the campaigns and stuff. So absolutely. Um, we, we, right now, I, I, I think our biggest need is um, finances to help promote the party. Uh, you know, I think it's putting the cart ahead of the horse or the horse ahead of the cart, whichever one we need, we need to do first. But I think we need to have money to be able to promote the party so that we can raise the money for the staff. I don't think the staff comes first, mm-hmm. but either way, I think, I think people, if people really believe what we're saying is true, if if we really do appear to be trustworthy, or at least be given the opportunity to prove that we're trustworthy, it's going to take some funds to keep us afloat. So yes, it is important that people back this idea. Corporations are backing the big parties, Mm because they believe in what they're doing. And if people are going to believe in what we're doing, they're going to have to, they're not going to compete with the corporations, I fully understand that. But they're going to have to, to, to be be willing to say, Yeah, I'll do my part. And, you know, the the worst thing you want to do is be in a position of saying, Wow, I wish I had.
0: Right. You know, one of the systemic changes that we talk about besides ranked choice voting and and um, and uh, voting rights and uh, jury, uh, anti-gerrymandering and such, one of them it harkens back to this thing I that uh, sort of disappeared in the 1980s. Uh, it's called the Fairness Doctrine. And I think that if we can work on... Instiga- or installing a, a sort of fairness doctrine, it would go a long ways toward getting more publicity for uh, the Alliance Party, because right now the problem is you have to pay for your airtime, right? And that, uh, that was not originally in the FCC codes. And so that to me is is uh, part of the reason why money crept in to politics because it became a necessary thing in order to get the airtime in order to get the really uh, uh, well-groomed uh, candidates and trained in everything it took a full-time staff and it took uh, airtime that was that was now largely paid for so. Okay. Uh, is there anything uh, remaining, gentlemen, uh, that we should be talking about? Uh, is there something, uh, this is what I would call the call to action section of the uh, of the podcast, uh, something that our listeners listening right now can do to uh, get more involved and, and uh, take the reins of control and, and own their future?
1: Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the opportunity to share some of our ideas and, and, you know, try to get the word out here, Dan. So I, I think because we are rebranding, you know, we want to um, not only reposition ourselves amongst our existing supporters, but we want to reach new ones. And so I would say if anyone's listening to this, um, go to the website, check it out, learn about us, be intellectually curious. We obviously believe that we offer, uh, you know, a, a superior value to the status quo and, and just come, come check us out, you know, decide for yourself instead of just assuming, you know, and, and living with the, or, come and find the group that wants to give you a voice and give you and options.
2: Well said, I, I think an important part of this is that we're not looking for, for people to just support and to join us. We're looking for people to be the Alliance Party. You know, this is a party of the people. Uh, we want people who are, who are feel that they want to be a part of the future and they want to be engaged at every level. We're looking for leaders, we're looking for candidates, we're looking for people who will, who will be the Alliance Party And not just join the alliance party takes both i understand but we're looking you know this is a a party of the people and and what we need is people to get engaged people to get involved and people to 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 own their future and to for all of us to work together to do that and that is is done at free commercial here www.theallianceparty.com
0: and we have some uh new logos as well Right, new coloring for our logos—I should say—not new logos, but new colors.
1: Correct. Yeah, the, yeah, that's that's correct. We we came up with new logos, new typography. Um, you know, after, after doing uh, media studies, you know, one of the things we're going to see is is the color. For example, we've gone away from the traditional red, white, and blue to a teal um, for for a number of reasons. I think the the two big ones for me was one red, white, and blue is so associated with, you know, America, the past, and, and really amongst this current future generation, it's almost kind of become cliche, you know, like like a, a, a false patriotism, you know, it's been kind of co-opted um, by by some of the existing groups and has a negative connotation. So we wanted to get away from that. But then when we were considering color palettes, we, we wanted to pick colors that have positive associations that aligned with our values. And so, you know, our values, when we're thinking about being future oriented and innovative and champions of reform and an opportunity for everyone, you know, in, in my mind, as I think about them, blue and green makes sense. You know, in the business world, when we think about something being an amazing opportunity or a fresh start, you know, we talk about it being a blue sky or Mm -hmm. or a strategy as a blue ocean strategy. Mm -hmm. Similarly, when we talk about a chance to, to, Re-engineer our processes, or, or relook at our business models. You know, it's 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 a green field of opportunity, and so you know, blue and green really resonated with us because we felt they were colors that that spoke to our values, and so we we looked at a, a combination of, of blue and green together to show that we're embracing both of those both of those as as driving factors in in how we operate.
0: Great. We've been talking with Jonathan Etheridge, the national chair for the Alliance Party, and Tim Cotton, the uh, political director for the Alliance Party. Thank you, guys, for uh, for all the work that you're doing, and uh, thank you for joining us at the Alliance Party After Dark this evening. Thank you for all you. Thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. If you've enjoyed listening to this evening's podcast and would like to get involved in the Alliance Party, please see our website at theallianceparty.com, or I should say that's www.theallianceparty.com. As we expand the party, we need your involvement. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Donations and volunteers are always welcome. If you'd like to contact us at the Alliance Party After Dark, drop us an email at podcast at Also, see our Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for this evening's edition of the Alliance Party After Dark. And on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.